Hey everybody and welcome back to Practice Makes Faithful. Today we are in season two, episode 10. Uh, we are in part two of our series, Witness, and we're super excited to dive into this conversation today. I'm Ben Patterson, joined as always by Paul Hugobart. Yeah, yeah, we're here today. We're no longer the dynamic duo, but we're no. the uh, terrific trio. <laughs> I, I, I really just... Try to find a T word there out, yeah, of, yeah. out of thin air, and so I think terrific isn't so bad. That's so, good. Yeah, yeah. Work. yes, because we are joined by our connections minister here at Grace Chapel, Jim Beasley. I am Jim Beasley, and I've been with Grace Chapel about two and a half years now, coming from Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, but I had the opportunity to move here to move closer to my children, my grandchildren, yeah. and uh, I feel very blessed. I have enjoyed my time here. Uh, being the connections minister, and uh, it has been a challenge, uh, but I love working with the team that God has blessed me to be a part of, and so I'm excited about continuing that. Yeah, and just in case anybody thinks that Jim coming from Tallahassee would be a Seminoles fan, just want to want to set the record straight. Not a Seminoles fan, are you, Jim? No, Gator, 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 I mean, it is, it is football season, Ben. I mean, listen, just because you don't care about football season doesn't mean the rest of the world doesn't care about football season. Uh, so so Jim enough. is a Gator, and I am getting past my Gator-hater stage. And so, so I, you know, Jim and I are now... We're close, we're tight, we're friends, so it's just fine. Yeah. Well, I feel outnumbered today because we have two Floridians on the podcast today. Yes. And uh, I don't know. It's true. It's Being from Maryland, I don't know. I'm a little outnumbered here today. <laughs> um, but this is going to be good. We have yeah. loved having you on the team. It's been, it has been fantastic just working with Jim and just getting to know you more throughout the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're joining us today because you got to lead our message yesterday. Um, yes. Diving into part two of our series, Witness. So in just a minute, we'll have you tell us a little bit about that message, and then we'll dive into that a bit. But first off, Paul, you want to just give us a quick recap for this series, Witness, what this series is about. Last week, we kicked it off with that special episode featuring yeah, our right. uh, conversation with Kelvin Teamer. Um, you want to just give us a quick recap what this series is about, and then we'll hand it over to Jim. Yeah, I can do that. Um, and you know, maybe since we're just in week two, I'll, I'll do a little bit of vision casting for the whole for the maybe so that we understand the theme of the whole series. Um, you know, so it, by way of recap, um, as you said, Kelvin Teamer, uh, the lead minister of Boulder, Boulder Crest, was with us last week, and, and I think about 60 of their folks as well. It was awesome to have them travel and be here with us as we celebrated a day that we call One Voice Atlanta that we've mm-hmm. been engaging in. Uh, if you missed last week's episode, definitely go back and check that out and, and uh, mm-hmm. see the conversation that we, um, that we engaged in. Um, really healthy conversation about um, the unity and oneness that God calls us to regardless of our differences, whether they be skin color or ethnicity or cultural mm-hmm. backgrounds or personality, whatever that happens to be. God is calling the church to be one. And so that's what we looked at last week. Now, that's part of a broader series, again, called Witness, um, where, where we are saying the subtitle or the, you know, kind of the, uh, the, the tagline for this series, Witness, is that, that we're representing Jesus in everyday life. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we as Christ followers are called to do. We don't do that just through unity and witness. We do that in a whole lot of different ways. And mm-hmm. so uh, Jim will tell us a little bit of, about what he talked about, uh, you know, this past Sunday uh, as he, uh, as he again, as he got to share the message. Uh, but throughout this month, we're going to be looking at five different ways 
that we get to be a witness in this world representing Jesus in this world, sharing uh, the vision of the good life that he calls us into, the abundant life that he calls us into, and really, I, I hope in a way, um, giving the world, by living this out, by living like this, we give the world a glimpse that is attractive and desirable. You know, for so long, we've tried to make our church services attractional, and that's, that's fine. We try to make them super attractive, that's okay, but what really ought to be attractive is the community that we form as a group of believers. The church yeah. ought to be yeah. what's attractive. So why should our gatherings be attractive? Because when we come together, we're the kind of people that have been living this attractive lifestyle. Um, we've been living in a way that shows love for each other. We've been living in a way that, that says, you know, if somebody's got a need, we come and meet that need. If, you know, we're, we're the kind of people that really are called out, set apart, different, um, and, and, you know, it's, it's, you know, if you missed uh, episode eight uh, of this season, which was the last of uh, the, the previous season from the way back or the previous series from the way back, really in that episode, we painted this picture or we looked at scripture and allowed scripture to paint this picture, God's picture of what the church could be like. Well, in this series, Witness, we're just taking that a step further to say, hey, if we look like this, there are going to be ways that, that people in the world see something that is different, totally different than what they're used to um, from what the world kind of, you know, values. And, you know, if the world elevates, uh, you know, pursuing things that make you happy, we're looking as Christ followers to, to look at the needs of others and say, how can we bless you? How can we love you? How can we serve you? even sometimes in truly self-sacrificial ways. And so really that's what this series Witness is all about, is how do we represent Jesus, who lived self-sacrificially, if you think Philippians 2, uh, who lived uh, you know, in a way that he was full of grace and truth, John 1.14. I mean, we could go on and on about the life that Jesus lived that we're called to now reflect, in a sense, mirror image into the world. So that's what the series is about. Mm -hmm. That's good. That's really good. It's a good, good recap on kind of where we're at. So, Jim, where'd you take that idea this week? Well, you know, as I look at the life of Jesus and uh, the things that he, uh, the examples that he left for us, uh, I, I look and see that he's teaching us lessons in many of the stories that mm -hmm. we're able to look in the Gospels and see. And this, the story in John chapter 4, his encounter with the Samaritan woman, is another one of those stories that just says to us as disciples, this is what Jesus is calling us to. One of the things I appreciate so much about Jesus is he never called us to do something that he didn't do himself. Right. He always set that example yeah. for us. And, mm -hmm. and here's a situation that he that he involves himself in. And I love the fact that the beginning of John 4 in the explanation about him coming into mm -hmm. the, into uh, Sychar and sitting there at the well, it says he had sent the disciples out of the way. To, to 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 get some yep. food, and so they wouldn't they wouldn't mess up that at all <laughs> that whole encounter. And so, Would you retell that story for us, for the sake of anyone who's not familiar? Yeah. With it? So all of a sudden, Jesus uh, had been been uh, he and his disciples had been uh, according to what the Pharisees were saying, they were baptizing more people than John. Jesus mm -hmm. realized that things was kind of hot with him in Ju in Judea, so he was going to go down to Galilee and to continue his his uh, his reaching out and ministering to people in Galilee. Well, in the middle of that is, is Samaria. It had been the, 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 uh, I, uh, the practice of most Jews to, to totally get away from that. 
Jesus goes into, he, the scriptures say he had to go through there. He comes into Samaria. He's weary from the day's journey. He sits at a well and all of a sudden this woman comes up. She is a Samaritan and she's a woman. And that's what's taboo if you were a rabbi yeah. or a teacher. Yeah. And, and um, he asks her for some water. And she reminds him, listen, you don't have anything to, to uh, first of all, she said, you ask me for water and I'm a Samaritan and a woman. And then, uh, and then she said, you don't have anything to, uh, to, to dip, to get some water with. And then he starts to telling her about the kind of water that he can give her, which is living water. The water that will, that where she would never thirst again. And, and I, I imagine her mind just just buzzing at that point, wondering what in the world is he's talking about. And so she asked him, I want some of that living water. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, okay, well, go and ask your husband. And she says, I, I have no husband. And Jesus then says to her, you're right. You have spoken correctly on that. You don't have a husband. You had five husbands and the one that you're living with right now he's not your husband and then she changes the subject a little bit now she wants to talk about the the samaritan worship and the jewish worship and which one is correct because she said you're a prophet so maybe you can tell me this she changes the subject but all in all when we look at the whole story we see that jesus did not approach her with any condemnation or any hatred or any of those things he stepped outside of the culture of the day and he did what was the god sent thing to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love this story because I think, um, you know, so many times we can look around in our culture and we can say, man, things are really messy today, whether it be, again, sometimes tensions that exist between people who have different skin colors mm -hmm. or maybe sometimes different demographical classes or other things like this. And in this story, as you mentioned, we see uh, a woman who's got almost three strikes against her at least is what you know the typical Jewish male would think as you said so she was a Samaritan you talked on Sunday about the significance of being a Samaritan right. so these were people who'd been uh, left behind in the Jewish diaspora when you know when they had been invaded by the Babylonians and so here are these folks who uh, then began to intermingle and intermarry which for, for Jewish folks was Taboo. You know, taboo. Very much taboo. They were supposed to maintain this pure bloodline and be able to trace their bloodlines back. And so here's this, this lady who now is um, not just by Jewish standards considered to somebody, you know, somebody who is part of another ethnic group. She's considered to be part of somebody who was a traitor to the ethnic group. Right. And so it's, you know, it's a combination of an ethnicity that, yes, that's not us, but it's not us and it wasn't supposed to be you either. And so there's a violation that's taken place there. So she's a Samaritan. Um, as you said, she's also, she's also a woman, which, um, you know, in first century Jewish society, Jesus actually elevated the way that, that women were treated uh, very much so. Mm -hmm. And women were often ostracized just by being women, kept on the outside of the circles, um, kept subservient, that kind of thing. And then the fact that she has a checkered past right. as well, as far as, you know, we, we don't know. It could have been that these men just treated her very poorly. Some of it could have been her fault. We just don't know the rest of the story. But here she is, someone whose life is characterized by things that would be kind of messy and often as you mentioned we kind of keep people who are messy at arm's length and so you know i think this story does have as you pointed out so much for us 
today to learn from Mm -hmm. and to identify with as Mm -hmm. well to say okay jesus was engaging at a practical level with somebody who maybe looks and feels like people that we engage with Mm -hmm. from time to time at a practical level so i I really appreciate the opportunity to come back to this particular story from from john four and you did such a Mm -hmm. great job yesterday as well thank you um kind of sharing the the significance of the way that jesus interacted Yeah. Uh, so some of the things interesting, Jim, in this story is something that we may easily miss because we're not, uh, we're, we, don't, we don't live in Samaria. We don't know this area. We don't know the geography. So it'd be easy for us to possibly miss this that you pointed out. And it's this verse in John 4, verse 4, that said, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. Right. And it's easy to just read that and just think, well, okay, yeah, I guess Samaria is right in the middle of where he's going through. But like, but... I guess as we look at this geographically, that's not the case. He didn't geographically have to go through Samaria. So I think John is maybe getting to something else here. Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria? You know, one of the things is that Jesus moved in accordance with the will of God. He says, I did not come to do my own will, but I came to Mm -hmm. do the will of him who sent me. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, we hear him saying, not my will, but thine be done. He was being moved by the Holy Spirit to go to Samaria. You know, I've got a couple of beliefs why I feel that. One of those is the fact that, listen, I'm going to say to my disciples one day, you must be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so he sets the stage here and he sets the example for them because when they come back into town and they look and they didn't say a word, they say, oh. He's at it again, you know. <laughs> but but Jesus was setting the stage for 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 that. But yeah. the other thing is, is that uh, God wanted God the Father wants to know that His Son came to for the whole world mm-hmm. to down that cross, mm-hmm. and the Samaritans were a part of the world that was to be saved. When He says, "I come to seek and to save those who were lost," He did not mean just Jews that were lost, but He meant every every living being. Because sin is a universal problem, and we all needed to have salvation mm-hmm. from that. So that word must, or he had to, means that he, there was, he was on a divine mission, mm-hmm. and, he, and the Spirit was moving him. And the thing I love is that he was obedient. Yeah. It's not, he was not driven by what he felt like. He was driven by what the Father wanted, and he was carrying out that will. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's good. I, I was looking at, you know, I was interested again in this, you know, yesterday. So just went and looked to see you know, what would be the path that normally someone would take from the areas around Jerusalem yeah. by the Jordan. Well, he's already over at the Jordan right. at that point in time. The easiest path was to walk north along the Jordan right. and then get into Galilee that way. So it actually was a way that, you know, if you were coming from Jerusalem, you would have gone to the Jordan to go walk that way. So Jesus didn't take what was actually the easiest path. He took a more right. difficult, more mountainous path, a harder path, and into an area, a region that was typically avoided. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and just the illustration for me in that, the idea of taking the easy path, you know, it, it does make me wonder how often do I take the easy path, the mm-hmm. easy way, the way that goes you know, water water seeks always to go the easiest mm-hmm. path, and so the Jordan that goes in the easiest path. How how often do I go like water? I go to the easiest path instead of listening to the voice of God as mm-hmm. as Jesus did, 
to maybe go to some more difficult places. So I, again, just the the must in there, and again, you, right. you used Kelvin's uh, Kelvin's the good little musty must, joke from, from the week before we, we hit on that one huh, here yeah. last last week too. But I think that's going to stick with us for a while. We right. ought to be musty Christians when God calls us to something. Obedience, mm-hmm. obedience is the key in that, and Jesus is such a great example because he could have said, "Hey, I'm kind of a big deal here, you know. I'm I'm God and man," mm-hmm. um, but in being God and man, he was always listening to the Father. God, what is it you're calling me to do? Mm-hmm. And even in this case, um, having to go through Samaria, even and, though he didn't have to go through Samaria. And there will be some times, though, that the Holy Spirit is going to call us into doing something we don't feel comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's way outside of our comfort zone. We're, outside, we're way outside of what's normal for us. And we're going to have to do something that's... and. I think that example is right there is that for the normal person, you would walk away from that and not be involved, not even speak to that mm-hmm. lady. But when you're being obedient to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will put you in places sometimes you don't feel comfortable going. Mm-hmm. Or put people in front of you who you don't feel comfortable That's right. interacting with. Yeah. And we and because of the obedience to the Holy Holy Spirit, we say, Whatever mm-hmm. not my will but thy be done. You know that? Yeah. Yeah. That's I exactly feel like it's right. just even heightened. I mean, one of the statements you said in the message is that just lovers of the unloved are willing to go out of their way right. to reach lost souls. Mm-hmm. And this idea of going out of our way, of being willing to go out of our way, it's. I feel like it's one thing to love people who are unloved or hard to love in our lives when there's someone who is like in our circles. Maybe it's someone you work with. It's someone in your family. It's, you know, we all have some people like that, right? In our world that we're in close connection with and you kind of have to love that person. You're with them often, but then it's maybe even a whole nother thing to say, not even just those that you're in close contact with, but no, to be willing to go out of your way, to actually like inconvenience yourself in your time, in right. your schedule, in right. your daily routine to to love someone. Right. And that just, it just heightens it up mm-hmm. to a new level, right? It's, yeah. I just feel like it, we, we all have those people in our lives that are that are hard to love. And sometimes you have to find a way to just deal with them because they're right near you. But to go out of your way to actually seek them out, mm-hmm. that's a whole new level. That's a whole new Jesus level right there. Yeah, see, <laughs> one, one of the things that was, was interesting was that, you know, that picture I put up on the screen with all the different kinds of people yeah. in it, um, sometimes they are uh, they are unloved because of preconceived things that we have come up with in our mm-hmm. minds about them. Mm-hmm our own prejudices and in this particular situation i think jesus deals with this idea of prejudice uh uh, straight on you know when he was not going to let what he had heard and what he may have experienced through others Mm -hmm. shape the way he interacted with people he was going to go in there and he was going to interact and he was going to love them regardless of who they were, where they came from, how they smelled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he didn't yeah. care. Yeah. You know? Uh, he was so he, he looked beyond that and he mm-hmm. saw he, he, he saw this can be a soul that will spend eternity in heaven. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. was that was the that was more important yeah. to him to get us back to where God intended for us to be. Yeah. 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 I think that's good in that we're hitting on a number of reasons that we as human beings, whether you know it's the three of us talking right now or somebody listening or watching to this episode, why we as human beings 
will sometimes avoid people or um, or determine we're not going to behave as Jesus did and right. engage with somebody. And it could be this is not convenient right now, or you know the idea that I've got more important things to do, or what would other people think about me if I engaged with this person? You know, I think the story of the good Samaritan. So in, you know, another time we see a Samaritan uh, in, in the life of Jesus as he's telling this story uh, was the one that went out of his way and inconvenienced himself to engage with somebody. But then you've got you know what you just brought up, Jim. Mm-hmm. Sometimes prejudice where we look at somebody and we determine, no, I'm not going to for them because I, I don't have to. Now, if it was somebody else, maybe I would, mm-hmm. but not for them, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think there are a whole number of reasons that we could come up with. And as maybe we're sharing some of these, somebody's listening and thinking about, you know, no, here, here's, here's another reason that I would avoid somebody at, at mm-hmm. you know, some point in time. It might not be inconvenience or prejudice, but could, it, it could be another reason altogether. Um, you know, it could be fear of safety. You know, and that that's one I think right, a real right. idol within our society mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. within even the church. You know, and I I understand this desire to want to be safe, and certainly when it comes to protecting our kids, we want them to be safe, and we should offer um, safe environments here at the church and other places. You know, mission trips and other things, especially when we're the ones responsible. But you know, I think about what Jesus was willing to do at times, walk into dangerous situations where we would look at that and we would say, no, we shouldn't do that. You know, I think uh, of even, you know, uh, knowing of some friends that were on the mission field a while back and there was a lot of pressure on them to come back from the mission field to have their kids here stateside because it just wasn't safe Mm -hmm. where they were to to have children. And so, you know, and and no, no judgment on them or anybody else who felt that way in a sense, just to say, just to point out, the way that we prioritize something like safety even, as opposed to being willing to make ourselves vulnerable to live out the mission of Jesus and maybe walk into what some would consider dangerous situations because the gospel and people that need the gospel become the priority. And so, you know, there are a whole lot of reasons why we could determine I'm not going to do that even when Mm -hmm. we feel like it's something that we're being called to do. You know, I can think just very practically in my life, um, you know, several years, and this this bothered me for, for weeks and months afterwards. I would think back upon this situation because I knew I had been unfaithful because if I had stopped to help a particular person that I saw on the side of the road, I would have been late for a meeting. Mm-hmm. And I have this high value and priority of I don't want to be late for stuff. That's just the way I am. Like I'm wired that way. I don't like being late for things. And when with my family or whatever, I mean, I will come on, guys. We gotta go to the point of sometimes maybe not even being so nice to them, right? You know, because you better get your rear end in this car right now. Or we're gonna have some real issues because you're gonna make me late, you know. And so I'm kind of wired that way, um, you know. And so for me, sometimes the question is, would I be willing to be late for a meeting? with somebody because God asked me to take a diversion for the sake of a person, another mm-hmm. person, you know, that's, that's a tough one for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll just admit, I, I wrestle with that. I struggle with that. Um, and I think we all have on some level, some things that we have prioritized 
which make it difficult for us to prioritize people. And it just seems that over and over and over again, Jesus showed us that people were the priority, mm-hmm. not these other things that yeah. creep in so easily. And so just, again, just a confession. Uh, I, I wrestle with this too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the scriptures say, Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and That's save right. those who were lost. And he, was, and, he, and he stayed on point with that mm-hmm. in every area of his life. When we look yep. at the different stories of his interaction with people, that he's like really focused on that. And now mm-hmm. getting back to the definition of a disciple, a disciple is one yes. who follows Jesus, which means that we have to stay on point with the idea of, of out there seeking and saving, or we can't save them, but giving them the message of salvation. Yeah. You know, those who are lost and bringing them into the fold because that's what he called us to do. At the end of the the definition for um, disciple, it says committed to the mission. Committed to the mission, that's right. Committed to the mission. And then in the middle is being changed by him, which means that I am going to die to myself and become more of what God wants me. Every day I want to look more Mm -hmm. like God than I did the day before. Yeah. You know, and that's what he's calling us into. And that's why these stories are there yeah. for us to look at. That's that. good. Mm-hmm. That's really good. All right, Jim. So what what does it look like on a practical level? I know we've already touched on some of this in this conversation, but um, what does it look like on a practical level to become lovers of those who are often unloved in society? And why is that a witness? Like why? Why is doing that become a witness? Or uh, as we're we're kind of defining witness this month as mm-hmm. a way of representing Jesus in everyday life. So, um, yeah. So what does that look like on a practical level? It's kind of two questions: to love those who are unloved, and then how is that a witness? One of the things is, as as disciples of Jesus Christ is that we have to learn how to take the blinders off and open up our eyes to people who are out there and people who are struggling. That means that we need to be listening and we need to be looking. And like you said, in that situation, that was probably somebody you need to stop and go Mm -hmm. help because God may have had a whole different uh, thing for you to do there. And once we take those off and we we die to self and say, no, I'm gonna do the God thing Mm -hmm. in this moment, that makes a big difference. But that, you know, stuff like uh, going and, and speaking to as you're walking down the sidewalk, somebody who you normally wouldn't speak to, instead of just walking past and putting your head down, mm-hmm. saying, good morning, good morning, God bless you today, or something mm-hmm. something to somebody who you would not necessarily yeah. you'll speak to or talk to, or if, in, in, mm-hmm. if there is a situation where somebody needs a door opened and you stand there, you make sure that they can get through to the door. I mean, these are mm-hmm. little things we do on a practical basis. Yeah. You know, that that somebody would, would say, well, thank you. It, it was very thoughtful of you, but it, it was you thinking about that, the possibility yeah. that you could get into a conversation <clears throat> with them or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I think about um, William Wilberforce, who we often think of as the, the great abolitionist, uh, the, the English abolitionist, who really helped move Parliament to a place where they abolished slavery well right. before we did here in the United States. And we think about him in that sense, um, and, and he was a great man because of that. But what we also know about Wilberforce is the way that he opened his home to anybody who needed a place to stay. In fact, there were those who mm-hmm. were frustrated with Wilberforce, Wilberforce because they would come to visit him in his home, and he always had you know people laying and sleeping all over the floor of his home. Uh, you know, to the point that it was it almost was like a homeless shelter. You know, a shelter <laughs> for those who were poor and didn't have a place to be. And he he was just that kind of person that felt like my home 
needs to be used by God. And so hospitality, you know, I think there's a lesson we can learn out of that. Maybe we don't go to the extreme that Wilberforce did, but, but what about using our home even in a practical way to, or the gift of hospitality? If, right. we, if it's our home or not our home, how can we be hospitable to people that are often considered to be outcasts of society? You know, I think, so there, there are a number of different, very real practical levels. I think too, um, you know, one thing is, as we were even preparing for this podcast, something that was going through my mind, you know, I think about the collage that you had on the screen yesterday. And we, we often, we talk about people, when we think about loving those who are unloved, we often think about in the sense of loving those who are unloved by society. Right. But I think there's another level that we need to process this on because it moves us to a deeper level of self-reflection as well to wonder, okay, yes, we know there are people who are loved by, unloved by society. And we often do feel like as the church, okay, we've got the responsibility to step in the gap and love those people who society has rejected. But there's another truth, is, and the truth is this, that there are people who the church has rejected. Um, and, and, you know, Jesus was actually often engaging with a religious crowd mm-hmm. and pointing out to these religious folks be careful about rejecting people. Mm-hmm. Be careful about rejecting those who others would call sinners. Or be careful about not being willing to eat with, in his day, the tax collectors mm-hmm. and prostitutes and others that, yes, society kept on the margin, but it was a very religious society that was keeping people on the margin and keeping them to the place where they couldn't. I mean, that's where he declares, mm-hmm. is that, that's at Luke 19.10, I think, mm-hmm. um, after eating dinner with Zacchaeus, mm-hmm. he says, I came to seek and save, save those who were lost. Those who were lost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, it, I'm looking for these people who've been rejected, yes, by society at times, but also we in the church have played a part in pushing people far and away and again, there are behaviors and lifestyles that absolutely we in the church in the church cannot endorse mm-hmm. and say okay to. You know, sexual ethics matter. Mm-hmm. You know, but there's a lot more than sexual ethics that matter too. And there are some times where we'll we'll accept the greedy person, and that's an okay thing. But we'll keep at arms like those who are struggling with their sexual ethics. When the reality is, Jesus is calling people to Him, saying, first, follow me," as you mentioned. Mm-hmm then, yes, be changed by me. And it's at that point in time that we in the church do have, you know, as Paul says in Romans, we do have the responsibility to engage and judge the people in the church. Mm-hmm. But we spend way too much time judging the people in the world. Mm-hmm. And in so doing, create a category of people that we're not willing to engage with. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, we need to think about engaging those who've been marginalized by society. But let's not miss the fact that sometimes we in the church have created a whole new category of marginalized people mm-hmm. that we need to at least reach out and love to. And the choice that is then theirs. What do they do with the relationship and the love that we extend toward them? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but no doubt, I mean, we've got to look at unloving people who've been unloved, whether it be through a lack of love from society, a rejection there, or maybe through a lack of love from those of us who are Christians who've spent too much judging and not enough time loving. Mm-hmm. We allow our, the culture <clears throat> to shape how we act and think about certain mm-hmm. things. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You have been created in Christ Jesus to do good work. Yeah. You've got to think countercultural you know, on a whole lot of things because mm-hmm. the way the world thinks about it is not the way, and the way, way the world reacts 
and treat and right. people is not the way I want you to do. I want you to be totally different. I want That's you the right. opposite of that. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how God would treat people and want want people to be treated and that's what we need to be gravitating towards that's right yeah and we tend to put up our own personal walls too just by way of our own beliefs and experiences right if it's if you're hardcore republican then you may not want to reach out to that person who's hardcore democrat or vice versa um i mean it's that's why I liked in that picture um, that you had up there. I've had a picture of just several people who may have a hard time like reaching out and showing love to, mm-hmm. and included politics on there. I had a picture of Trump, I had a picture of Biden, mm-hmm. um, and just representing political categories that are just such a huge dividing wall right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we just put up all these, uh, so often we'll put up walls as to people we don't want to yeah. reach right. out to. And Jesus wasn't in that business. Mm-hmm. Jesus says the enemy came to to kill and to destroy, but yeah. I have come that you might have life mm-hmm. and have it more abundantly. And that's constantly if we keep our eyes fixed on Him and our focus on the mission that He has set forth for us, mm-hmm. we will be able to experience the fullness of that life, yeah, that right. abundant life, mm-hmm. in other yeah. people. That's really good. Awesome. So uh, in the message as well yesterday, you talked about uh, the need to listen to the Holy Spirit as we seek to love those who are unloved. Um, why why does listening to the Holy Spirit help us become better at loving unloved people? And how does this work at a practical level? Because the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. So therefore, I want to listen to the voice of God. We listen to too many strange voices. That's not God, and yeah, it leads good. us to not doing the will of God. But if we if we are truly wanting to be disciples of, of, of Jesus Christ, we say, God, I want to listen to what you're doing. And that means that we're going to have to spend mm-hmm. time with God and, mm-hmm. and, and, and become more sensitive to what the Holy Spirit may be saying. Um, we're going to need to spend time into the Word. We're going to need to spend, need to spend time in prayer. We need to sp- spend time in meditation. And we need to do things like where we fasted a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and, and, and tried to get use it as a time to draw us closer into God so that we will, we will be a lot more sensitive to where the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. is, is leading us. I love what Galatians chapter 5 says. It says, now the fruit of the Spirit is... Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, mm-hmm. goodness, gentleness, faith, and self-control. When we are listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, that's the direction that he leads us mm-hmm. into. And when we have mm-hmm. encounters with people, all of a sudden, they're, they're seeing those things manifest themselves mm-hmm. because we have given ourselves to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus, said, Jesus says, if any man would come out to me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We've got to be denying and dying to ourselves yeah. so yeah. that the Spirit can be more evident. Yeah. The more we die to, the more I die to Jim Beasley, the more I look like God. Mm-hmm. And that's that's that, that's the whole mission. So that when I when when there is a need that the Holy Spirit is leading me towards, I see it. Yeah, yeah. But if I'm if I'm if I'm so connected to myself, I don't see it. It's blinders. Yeah, yeah. All yeah. I can see is what what I'm trying to do and what's best for me. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's not where God's leading us. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. Good. Jim, you, you asked a great question in Sunday's message, and as I was listening, you know, it really convicted me to to think. Okay, I need to take stock of myself and try to unpack 
Here's the question first is, is what are some attitudes that maybe you were taught when you were young that keep you from loving those who are unloved? Yeah. You know, and so again, it moved me to take stock of myself. I think I think it's a, a great question um, to explore. And so I say, even as I sat there yesterday, uh, I got to sit in the balcony yesterday, which yeah. is kind of cool. My kids have been asking to sit in the balcony for a while. So we got to do that as a family. But even as I sat there in the balcony listening, um, I began to kind of try to explore within myself and contemplate what would be my answer to the question. And so it moved me to several other questions. You know, to think about it this way, you know, who was I taught not to trust? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because if I don't trust someone, there's some fear involved, there's some anxiety, and so I may be likely to avoid mm -hmm. a person. You know, so who, so who was I taught not to trust? Are there broad categories of people that I was taught not to trust mm -hmm. at a young age? And it could be, you know, it could be something, you know, our parents maybe had an attitude that they weren't aware of. It could be something that, an experience yeah. wounded mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. and moved you to a place where now you determined that a whole group of people were not worth trusting. Mm -hmm. It could be an attitude from culture or society that we picked up. And so, you know, that was kind of the first question that, um, that I, you know, contemplated is who was I taught not to trust? The next one that I thought through was this one, who was I taught to avoid? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. there are some people that I was taught, you know, hey, you ought to avoid these kind of people. Mm -hmm. And that's not the same as trust. It could be more along the lines of, Look, we don't we don't really hang out with those kind of folks, and the reason we don't, and that was often, especially an attitude growing up, that that other kids taught me. You know, so I think about in the middle school years, which can often be the really cruel years, which you either can learn to be cruel yourself by being with some kids who are embracing that uh, kind of that mindset, and that attitude, or you can be the recipient of a lot of cruelty uh, as well. You know, so in those years, I was part of a group of kids that. You know, where I was learning who I should avoid. Mm -hmm. You know, well, we don't really spend time with those kind of kids because they're not part of the popular group. And so you know, I had a friend, a few friends who were in the group of those kind of kids. And now I'm having to figure out, well, do I, do I really want to be with these people who seem to be the popular people? Or do I want to continue to be true to my friends? And so, you know, that's maybe the first level at which we start to learn that. But then throughout life, we learn... No, there are more people you ought to avoid if you want to especially maintain a certain type of status. So mm -hmm. you avoid certain kind of people. And then, um, you know, the next one that I thought through is, who was I taught to neglect? And, and when I think about that in particular, um, and, you know, it, it's almost as if when we're taught to neglect certain folks, it, it's this statement that we believe that there are certain people who are actually unworthy of love. Mm -hmm. You know, so why do some people go unloved? Is we were taught to neglect a certain group of people as being less than worthy of our love. Mm -hmm. You know, or so that person is not worth your time. They're not worthy of your love. You know, and, and I mean, I can think, you know, especially, uh, you know, and there's, again, Issues are complex. Things are often more nuanced than we make them, you know. And so are there, are there people who, who are lazy and probably aren't trying to better their lot in life? Sure, that's true. You know, but I, I was raised in a very conservative setting in which anybody who didn't have, you know, and I, I mean, some of those attitudes existed in my family. Uh, it was friend groups that surrounded us. You know, that anytime somebody didn't have something, it was their own fault because we live in a land of opportunity 
So it was nobody else's fault but them. And so don't go help that person. They need to help themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, so that's even, I think it was a Ben Franklin, I think, who said God helps them who help themselves. And that's that was kind of one of you know the favorite lines that I heard growing up is God helps those who help themselves, yeah. which means that if that person is in a bad way, it's because they're not doing anything for themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's nobody's fault but them. And so therefore they're not actually worthy of your love. Don't waste your time on yeah. that person. Yeah. And and they're you know, the reality is that there are some times when, you know, I think about, you know, in relation to an addict, if I give an addict money, the chances are that that addict may turn around and buy, mm-hmm. buy more drugs. And I actually didn't help that person. But if that person is genuinely hungry, then I may take the long way around and buy them some food and give them the thing that they need in that moment. They need some food as opposed to just completely yeah. avoiding that person at all because they're just not worthy of my time and of mm-hmm. my love and of my attention or whatever else, which is, which when you think about it, really, to get to the place where we decide that there are some people who are un- unworthy of love, mm-hmm. man, that's just, it's ugly. Yeah. But it exposes the ugliness in us. And so, you know, for me, when we think about the Holy Spirit, and that, again, I appreciate your question so much because of the conflict that stirred up in me mm-hmm. to examine myself. Um, when I think about what the Holy Spirit is doing, I pray that the Holy Spirit is working to refine my motives, not just my actions, mm-hmm. as I allow him to. Because I know I can serve somebody and still have the entirely wrong attitude. What I want to do is have the right heart and the right attitude so that my service to others and my love for others comes out of this place of having the right heart and the right attitude. Well, the only one that can do that for me mm-hmm. is the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That's it. He's the only one that can do that. So I, I appreciate mm-hmm. so much that question. I want to repeat it one more time just so that our folks can wrestle with it again and anybody who's listening. So here's the question Jim asked yesterday. What are some attitudes that maybe you were taught when you were young that keep you from loving those who are unloved? Man, what an important question to wrestle with. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that, Jim. So I want to, before we hit our final question on how we practice this, I want to go back to one of my earlier questions on how, how is this a witness? Like when we're doing this, if we're willing to um, to love those who are unloved, to break through some of those walls that we may have built up against some people, we're willing to follow Jesus in that way, to listen to the Spirit and to go into that. How um, how is this helpful as a witness to Jesus? Uh, certainly, just loving people is a is a beautiful thing, but in the context of this series, in what way does that become a witness and reflect him. You know, when you think about what happened when Jesus asked that Samaritan woman for a drink, her reaction, think about it for mm. a second. Her reaction was, you coming to me, a <laughs> Samaritan and a woman? See, already that was a witness. Mm-hmm. You see <laughs> that was already, because he was doing something that she definitely did not expect to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and when we treat people in such a way uh, that they don't expect, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, with love and respect, <laughs> respect, mm-hmm. then it, it catches them off guard. They know something's different. They know yeah. something totally different than that about you. And it opens up doors then for them to, to, to they'll, you know, as we develop that interaction and possible friendship, they'll say, well, why why are you different than everybody else? Mm-hmm. And then we can say, let me tell you about my Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can get into a conversation mm-hmm. about why who why we changed and we can share with them how we, we 
we we were before we became Christians and and how that has changed us. Jesus has changed us and we are now doing this. Yeah. And so it becomes oh, yeah. that witness. That's right. Opens up a door for that, for conversation. That reminds me, so I when um I was homeschooled growing up and um when I got my first like real job working at Kroger, there was a bit of a a bit of a culture shock to me, right? I, I was in a very sheltered environment, and then I was in a more secular environment, right? I was with people of different different beliefs, different ideologies of different ways of talking, and how they used language in the stories that they shared and whatnot. And I can remember times for me of feeling uncomfortable mm. talking with people mm -hmm. because of the language they use, because of the stories that they told, um, and feeling this bit of uncomfortability of like, what are people going to think of me if like I'm talking with this person or this, that, and the other? And that makes me really uncomfortable to even say I was even thinking that way, but that those were the thoughts that were going through my head in that moment. But over time, I did... I continued to be in relationship with these people and to grow in relationship with a lot of people who were very different than me, who I may have thought of may have been the unloved category for me. Mm -hmm. And over time, because I was willing to be in relationship with someone who was so different, who talked so different, who glorified things that I would not glorify, who this, that, and the other, um, that it opened a door for me to become a witness mm -hmm. that if I would have just shut them down and said, you're so different than me, mm -hmm. you talk different, you use language I don't approve of, mm -hmm. and I would have just shut that down, then there wouldn't have, there wouldn't have been an right. opportunity for me to be a witness. Mm -hmm. But I had a lot of really great faith conversations that came out of that and uh, seeds that were planted that I never saw any harvest come out of, but I don't know mm -hmm. that God won't do something later right, right, in right. some of those people's life. And maybe that mm -hmm. I was able to offer a witness to what Jesus looked like as opposed to some notions that they had of of Christianity, right. of Jesus before. the um, And it, it took being willing to be in relationship with someone who was yeah. very different than me, mm -hmm. who may have been in the unloved category for me personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's good. And also the courage. Yeah. It took yeah. courage of, and boldness for you to, to stay true and faithful to that which you knew was the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah. And not, and not allow the pressures of being like everybody mm -hmm. else mm -hmm. press, uh, mm -hmm. push in on you. Yeah. And you end up just gravitating to what they're doing, you yeah. know. And yeah. we've got to, we've as disciples, we got to to get out of the mindset. I want everybody to like me. Yeah, <laughs> they're not. They didn't like Jesus, <laughs> you no. know. And so, because he did the right thing. So sometimes when we want people to like mm. us, we end up doing whatever we think that will make them like us. Yeah, we need to make them want to see God. I appreciate you clarifying that too, because that's so true. Because I, I could have taken a different route, and I yeah. could have just embraced their lifestyle, embraced the way they talked, embraced all of that, and then I wouldn't have been a witness. Like right, I would just been the right. same, same thing. There, yeah, like right. there would have been no witness there. Right, right. But no, I did stay true to my Christian faith in that, right. mm -hmm. but was still willing to be with them and talk with them right. when they were so different than me. And that that combination became a witness. Mm -hmm. You could have went an extreme on either end and just closed things off or just totally embraced right. their their way. And either of those things 
are not a witness right. to Jesus. Yeah, that's right. But um, sitting in the in the middle there, mm-hmm. I think was. Yeah, no, that's very good. All right, so let me let me land on that final question, and both of you all are welcome to respond to this. Uh, is how can we practice what we've learned this week to be faithful in Jesus? Spend much time with God in prayer. Get into His Word, not only just to read His Word, but to ask ourselves the question: How can this change me? How can this help me to be a greater witness for Him? You know, as we're reading through His, as we're reading through the Word. Uh, we need to be doing that. But besides that, put ourselves in situations where we know we're going to have an encounter with someone mm. where it's going to to bring them into hopefully seeing the light that we're that's yeah. shining in us, the yeah. spirit moving in our lives. You mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. it, it's not about us; it's all about God anyway. Mm-hmm. But but sometimes we got to go the extra mile. Yeah, and 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 and, and to do some things. For some people, you know, um, something. If if you work in an office and there there are a lot of non Christians, you you hear all the gossip, you hear all the stuff that there. But the person <laughs> that they're gossiping about, man, would it be nice if you just brought them something good? See, mm. I'm, I'm I'm bringing you breakfast this morning just to let you know that I appreciate you. Uh, you know, I know you're going through a hard time right now, and I I heard all the stuff. That I, you know, just just yeah. doing something that's yeah. totally different than everybody else in the office is doing. You know, yeah. at this at this <clears throat> time. Or if 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 someone is being absolutely mean to you, do something absolutely good for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just yeah. the opposite. You do it enough time, they'll they'll get the message that you know there's something different about you because everybody mm-hmm. else reacts to yeah. their actions, yeah. but we're going to react in the opposite way that you expect mm-hmm. us to react mm-hmm. by doing that which is godly and mm-hmm. right and good. And so we look for those opportunities to to be a light. To be yeah. different, and, you know, and to stand in boldness in doing that. And then really it will hopefully open up doors that we can be able to share why we do what we do and why we are who we are. Yeah. I think that's really good. I love that you started with this idea of, you know, we've got to spend time in the Word so that we actually know who Jesus is and what Jesus would do. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, um, I have been a part of the crowd at times. Um, you know, I think about when the, the original WWJD stuff came out. You know, I was a part of the crowd that um, that liked to speculate about what Jesus might do, but didn't spend a whole lot of time exploring what Jesus actually did. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes that is that is kind of our pose. It's you know, we like to speculate about what we think Jesus would do, but let's actually find out what Jesus did, and then go do things like that. I love as yeah. well the fact that you in a sense, challenged us to run toward opportunities mm-hmm. instead of away from opportunities. Mm-hmm. And then almost in a sense to make the most of those opportunities that are in front of them. Um, I, I would say, you know, just as a, just to answer your question, I want to actually take you to another question that Jim posed in the message yesterday. Um, and, and here's basically what he said. He said, do we view the people around us as people we want to spend eternity with? Mm-hmm. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a big yeah. shift in the way we often think. But how would that change so many things about the way we responded you know, in, in, missionally toward the people we came in contact with? Mm-hmm. You know, if we have in our hearts <clears throat> you know, this real desire to see everybody that we know and that we come in contact with whose lives are touched by our lives and vice versa, um, if we really wanted for those people to spend eternity with 
first with with Jesus. But if we wanted them to be people we'd spend eternity with, you know, if we had that frame of mind, you know, I think it would change the way that we engage with with just about everybody. You know, the next time I drive by somebody who I might typically keep at arm's length, if I thought, man, that's that's somebody that needs to spend eternity with Jesus Christ when he renews all things. Yeah. I want that person to be in eternity. Well, how would that change the way I engage? Well, Jesus' mission statement again for his life, Luke 19, I think Luke 19, 10, Mm -hmm. I came to seek and save the lost. Mm -hmm. I I came so that everybody would have the chance to spend eternity. Right. Yeah. You know, in in the the renewed earth and heaven, you know, I, I think... <clears throat> that would really, if we started with that frame of mind, now that's the Holy Spirit going to do a work in us again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if we started with that frame of mind, man, think about the things that would come out of that mindset. Think about the faithful practice that would come out of that mindset. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate uh, this conversation here and the message yesterday because it really does call us to a different, and you use that word again, as a different, we need to be different. Um, and people will view what we're doing, they'll see what we're doing as a witness because we're different. Um, I appreciate that challenge to be different and to be this kind of different. Mm-hmm. That's excellent. Well, thank you both for sharing that, it's really good. And Jim, thank you for mm-hmm. just your thoughtful preparation on this message. It was, it was excellent, this conversation has been really good and we just really appreciate that. My pleasure. Yeah. Awesome. And we thank you all for joining us again today for Practice Makes Faithful. We will be back next week, part three of this message. Next week will just be Paul and I, but then the week after that for the fourth part, Jim right. will be back again. So you'll get to hear from him again real soon. Um, but we thank you all again for joining us, and we will see you all next week.